Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball. 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It is now the 21st day of December. It's the winter solstice, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. It's winter solstice 2016, in case you're wondering. I, I screwed up my opening. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Sully Baseball Studios. All that other stuff I say. I, I got thrown. I got thrown for a loop there. I, I stubbed my toe. I stubbed my damn toe. Star, sorry, Ray. I said damn there. I, I stubbed my damn toe. You, I, I'm, I have a listener who I, I really like and respect who listens to me a lot. Thinks I swear too much. So I'm going to try to. Try to pull it back just a little bit there. Try to pull it back for you, Ray. Hope you appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't put God in front of it. Um, hey, um, um, I'm down the street from the 101, the home of your San Francisco Giants, and I am. I, I saw the news the other day that the Giants signed Jimmy Rollins, and Jimmy Rollins is has been playing for a while now. Jimmy Rollins broke in with the 2000 Philadelphia Phillies, but his rookie year was really 2001. And I think about that. That's before I met my wife. I've been married for a bunch of years now. My kids are over 10 years old now. And Jimmy Rollins has been a viable major league player playing at least 138 games every single year since then, with the exception of 2010 and last year. So he's, he's, he's put up a lot of games. Yeah, he's played 2,275 games over his 16-plus years in the major leagues. And he is, you know, he, he's, he's no longer an elite player. I mean, he may not even be a starting player, although he was a starting player in 2015, I mean, he played, let's, let's go to BaseballReference.com, single greatest website of the history of the planet Earth. He started 128 games for a Dodger team that went to the playoffs. I'm not saying it was his best year or anything, but, you know, he's, he didn't play particularly well with the White Sox last year, and they had young players coming up, and they decided to go with youth instead of a veteran on their, on their team, and I believe they released him, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he got cut in June, kind of sat out the rest of the season, and he got picked up, signed with, essentially one of those deals where he signed with a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training. And so we're at the point of his career where he's essentially being brought in to be a veteran, to sort of give depth off the bench, to be a pinch hitter, to fill in if there is an injury, you know, depth. And... You know, you could, someone with experience, with postseason experience and everything, you can take that for what it's worth. I think it's less important on a team like the San Francisco Giants who are loaded with players with multiple World Series rings. I would think someone like Jimmy Rollins would be more important on a team that hasn't won a World Series, that has a, like a young team that has hopes for the playoffs. I thought, I thought he was a perfect fit for the White Sox last year. And I mean, you think of what's a young team out there with thoughts of of winning. Um, yeah, I mean, I could say L.A., where he played in 2015, because he'd be alongside a, a young shortstop like Corey Seager, or maybe a team like a team that's rebuilding like Colorado, pad his stats a little bit, or a team like Atlanta, 
which is filled with young talent who could use a veteran or two. I think that's one of the reasons why they're bringing in people like Cologne and R.A. Dickey. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's always interesting when you have a player like Jimmy Rollins who has, you know, he's essentially checked off everything on your player's bucket list that you could want to do. I mean, he's not going to get to 3,000 hits in his career. He right now has 2,455 hits. And the likelihood of him getting 545 more hits in his career is pretty slim. I think he probably has, you know, two seasons tops, maybe three as a as a hanging on as a pinch hitter sort of in his career. So, but you know, you look at his career, and it's been a fine career. He's led the league in a lot of categories over the years. Stolen bases one year and triples. Four or five times he led the league in triples. He led the league in runs scored. Oftentimes he's led the league in plate appearances, so he's obviously durable. Um, he's several gold gloves and silver sluggers and all-star game appearances and, of course, won the Rookie of the Year in 2007 and was a member of the 2008 world champion Philadelphia Phillies and in the 2009 playoffs got a memorable walk-off two-run hit against Los Angeles that all but clinched the pennant for the Phillies. And for the first time in Philadelphia Phillies history, they went to back-to-back World Series. He was a big part of that. Was a big part of that great team that won every division, won the 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, and 2011 National League East titles. One of the best runs in the history of the Phillies organization. And, you know, had, has had a really memorable career. I've never met the man by all accounts and by all uh, everything I read about him. He seems like a good man and, and has done a lot of charity work and everything like that. You know, there's, there's nothing about Jimmy Rollins' career that I look at and go like, oh, geez, you know. I mean, I, mean, he, I, I don't think he's a PED user. I mean, granted, his, his home run total peaked in 2007, but a lot of people's home run totals peaked in 2007. It's not saying anything there. Just stating the fact. So the Giants brought him in, you know, it's never hurts to have a guy world champion in your clubhouse and everything like that. I don't know what the clubhouse is. Bruce Bochy runs that clubhouse, and how the hell do I know? So, and he's from Alameda. I kind of thought maybe he'd be an interesting fit with the Oakland A's. And talk about a young team there that could use a veteran or eight. I think Sean Doolittle is the oldest player on the team now. And he's, what, in his 20s watching every Star Wars movie, you know, showing up dressed as Chewbacca. Well, he's going to San Francisco. Doesn't hurt. Worst thing that happens is he flames out in spring training. They invited him, and it doesn't work. And the best thing that happens is the Giants have uh, some depth, and they can afford to sit a panic or sit a Crawford from time to time. And what will likely happen is that he'll be on the team I think the Giants are going to be a contender next year. I think they're going to win 90-some-odd games and maybe make the playoffs again. And Jimmy Rollins comes off the bench. And when we take a look at Jimmy Rollins' career in a couple of years, do you remember he was on the Giants? Oh, my God, I totally forgot about that. Kind of like when Jim Tomey was on the Dodgers and in the postseason with the Dodgers. I bet you forgot that. Really? Jim Tomey was on the Dodgers? Did I miss that? Wait, Mike Piazza played in the playoffs with the Padres? 
I don't remember that. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. We're in the I don't remember that part of Jimmy Rollins' career because he spent 14-plus seasons as one of the stars of the Philadelphia Phillies. So when it, when it all wraps up, no matter how, no matter where you go to, and no matter if you have success with another team, people are going to remember you for the team that you spent the majority of your time with. You know, Frank Thomas hopping between the A's and the Blue Jays for the end of his career, no one remembers that, even though he had success in Oakland, he had success in Toronto. Yeah, he's a white sock. You remember him as a white sock. That's how you, everyone's going to remember Frank Thomas as that, including himself. But I started thinking when I saw the signing of Jimmy Rollins, I thought to myself, is he a Hall of Famer? Did the Giants pick up a Hall of Famer? And that's always interesting. I, I brought up Frank Thomas. It's always interesting when you have a Hall of Famer pick up a team that they stick on their plaque. You know, kind of like, you know, one of uh, uh, Jimmy Rollins' teammates in the 2009 World Series was Pedro Martinez. Nobody, when they say Pedro Martinez, what do you think of? Nobody's first thought is him as a Philly. But that's how it's where he ended his career. And those teams that the Phillies beat, they beat the Dodgers. Do you know who they had? They had Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox was a Dodger? Yeah, for a couple of years. Really? I don't remember that. And so I was starting to think, did, did the Giants pick someone up, tack on a, a tail end of their career Hall of Famer? Kind of like when they had the final, uh, you know, the final season of, of Randy Johnson. Remember, he finished his career as a Giant. He won his 300th game as a Giant. I bet you forgot that. And I thought, is Jimmy Rollins a Hall of Famer? Now, it's not as easy a question as you'd think. And I think this is one of the reasons why I think it's a good thing that there are multiple, you've got to wait five years before someone's on the ballot. And one of the reasons why it's good to keep some people who are worth the debate on the ballot, because maybe the debate can shift one way or another. We're going to see there's a ton of debate that's going on. It looks like Tim Raines, thankfully, will get to the Hall of Fame. Uh, this year, but it took some convincing for some people. It took some convincing for me to think that Burt Blylevin was a Hall of Famer. Now I think he is. I think he deserves to be in. But it took me years to say, oh, man, yeah, I guess, yeah, he deserves it, doesn't he? And I absolutely believe that Tim Raines is going to get in, and a lot of people who hadn't voted for him in the past are going to vote for him. Oh, I'll be dipped. Yeah, he is a Hall of Famer, isn't he? Yeah, he is. So I think Jimmy Rollins is going to be one of those people who will be on the ballot for a bunch of years, and there will be a robust debate of whether or not he put together a Hall of Fame caliber career. Now, at first glance, with him still as an active player, I actually think he will fall f short of getting in. But I think that there will be people who are for him. I think that he'll have his, his champions and he'll have his detractors. But I also think that Jimmy Rollins and his teammate, Ryan Howard, are both players who are kind of the last remnants of an old style of thinking. You know, I did a podcast shortly after the World Series about Ryan Howard. And I was talking about how he was kind of the last of a slugger breed. That he was the final big slugger who we looked at in the old way. 
there's a period when the MVP was basically, what slugger has the highest batting average? I mean, if you look at some of the MVP picks we have, that seems to be the criteria. Were they a slugger? Yeah. Was their batting average high? Hell yes. Well, guess what? Welcome to the MVP club. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you that's what it is. And I probably felt as guilty of that as anyone. And it really helped is, are you, did your team win? Did your team have a winning record? Yes. Were you a slugger? Yes. Was your battering average 290 or higher? Yes. Well, congratulations. You are the most valuable player in the league. And I, I think Ryan Howard, who won an MVP one year when it probably really should have gone to Albert Pujols, who was you know, a much better all-around player than, than or all-around offensive player, at least, than Ryan Howard. I think we're now, we see things differently statistically. I think that we don't penalize players as much as we used to for their team shortfall. Uh, and I think that the narrative no longer drives a player's rewarding or not the way that it used to. Now, I'll tell you what I mean by that. One of the biggest arguments that will get Jimmy Rollins' Hall of Fame consideration is the fact that he won the most valuable player in 2007, and he had an, uh, an admittedly a, a, a wonderful season in 2007, played all 162 games, sitting down if you heard that, he led the league in plate appearances, at-bats, runs scored, 20 triples, bad 296, uh, at an OPS of 875, uh, drove in 94 runs, hit 30 home runs, stole 41 bases, and played gold glove defense at shortstop. He was defensively terrific all around, power, speed. You know, you know, didn't walk as much as you would hope. He only walked 49 times. But do you know what? The, that wasn't how people were looking at things then. They were looking at the all-around game for him and also the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies pulled off an unbelievable come-from-behind victory when they, they snuck up on the Mets who had what a, the, the huge lead going into September, and the Mets collapsed down the stretch. The Phillies surged down the stretch, and the thought process was, hey, if that's, if that's what happens, if you were part of the team that surged, then let's take the best all-round player from the team that won. That is a complete victory through the... Um, through the narrative. And Jimmy Rollins, if you looked across his stats, sure as crap looked like he was the player who helped lead the Philadelphia Phillies to that great victory. Now, looking at the statistics, looking at it numerically, I'm not going to go to war. I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't understand how war is calculated so therefore, I, I don't refer to it um, because I think that would be dishonest for me to do that. Although it is interesting that I seem to come up with the same conclusions that war comes up with. So obviously, it lines up with, with some of my thoughts, even if I don't know the method. <clears throat> you could make the argument that Chase Utley, who had superior batting average, superior on-base percentage, superior OPS, superior slugging percentage, um, uh, 
and drove in more runs. I mean, you, you could point to a lot of things that Chase Utley did and say he may have been a superior, may have had a superior season to Jimmy Rollins. But I'm not going to split hairs there. I think that that, that combination of Rollins or Utley, uh, in some ways, uh, you could flip a coin. Now, it's funny that in the MVP vote, Rollins finished first, Utley finished eighth, and Ryan Howard finished fifth. So they, the MVP vote had Howard at a higher place. Well, that was mainly, I, I'll just say it's because he hit 47 homers and drove in 136 runs. I think that's what enamored people and had them look away from Utley, who I, I think may have had the better all-round season. But I, you know what, I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to say that Rollins and Utley, you flip a coin. I think they both had wonderful years. Some sabermetrician will look at me and say, oh, you're wrong. Here's this reason. Here's that reason. Fine. Okay. Um, and the, the narrative also gave the second place vote to Matt Holliday, who had a wonderful season for a Colorado team that just surged down the stretch. And so you had the one and two votes went to – People voting based on the narrative. And Holiday nearly won. He got 11 first place votes. And Jimmy Rollins got 16. And Prince Fielder, who had 50 home runs, got the other first place vote. So that was your one, two, and three. And I mean, I would argue that Prince Fielder, I don't know if I'd even put him in the top 10 of the MVP of that year when you look at some of the other players and some of their all-around seasons that they had. Like, if, if you looked just by the numbers, I mean, someone like Chipper Jones, someone like um, Albert Pujols, for goodness sakes, who finished, by the way, this will be the one time I'll refer to war in this whole time, Albert Pujols finished ninth in the MVP voting and he finished first in war. So if you were a sabermetrician, the guy who finished ninth was the person you'd give the, the, the award to. But I, that's not even who I would give it to. I mean, you'd make the argument that Troy Tulowitzki, who finished, what, 18th in the vote, was, had a better all-round season than Matt Holliday did, unless you're just saying who hit the most home runs and who had the highest batting average. But I think that if you look, again, this is not the person who led the league in war. I'm not doing it by the sabermetrics. I'm doing it just by the metrics, by doing it by the numbers, by doing it the all-around season. David Wright was the most valuable player in the National League in 2007. If you have a problem with that statement, email me. It's info at sullybaseball.com. But I believe he was. I believe if you looked at you know the combination of numbers, uh, the whether whether you like traditional stats, whether you like advanced stats, whether you like power, whether you like speed, whether you like deep, whatever you want in a player, David Wright pulled it off. Did it every single day, played 160 games, had huge power numbers, had great speed numbers, had great on-base numbers. Everything was great about David Wright's season. And he finished fourth in the MVP voting, fourth behind 
um, Rollins, Holiday, and Fielder. Fourth, based entirely on the fact that the Mets collapsed down the stretch. Down the stretch, the Mets had a horrific, grotesque September where they blew, they just blew it big time. And it cost the, it cost David Wright the MVP. And so the narrative is Jimmy Rollins led the Phillies down the stretch with his great surge and David Wright collapsed with the Mets down the stretch. Um, can I tell you now, one player wound up going in September. One player wound up, let's just go, batted 298, had an OPS of 875, hit six home runs, uh, and stole 14 bases. Had a good, solid September and October. Another player batted 352, had, an OP, had a slugging over 600, also hit six homers. Had an OPS over 1.034. That was David Wright. The first number was Jimmy Rollins. In fact, if you take a look, David Wright nearly batted 400 in August. His slugging percentage was over 650. His OPS was over 1.1, and he had, it was spectacular. In the final half, the second half of the season, he batted 364, an OPS over 1,000, a slugging percentage nearly at 600. In the second half of the year, when the Mets were collapsing and falling all over each other, David Wright was playing out of his mind great baseball. And Jimmy Rollins was playing very, very good. Very, very good baseball. I added the good baseball at the end because if I said he was playing very, very good, the grammar would have left my mother to absolutely strangle me when she next sees me. But what I'm saying is, is that Jimmy Rollins, like his teammate Ryan Howard, represents the f really the last of, not the great wang doodles, but the last of the players who earn their awards almost entirely through the narrative. You know, the, you could make the point that, like, well, maybe you could say that uh, uh, Miguel Cabrera's MVP in, 20, in 2012 was based on the narrative of him winning the Triple Crown, but I, I have no problem with him winning it that year. Um, you know, Mike Trout's won two MVPs. I think we can all relax. He's, being, he's been well rewarded. Uh, but you take a look at who has won the MVP since then. And it's all, almost every single one. You can put, yeah, statistically, yep, that makes sense, yep. Bryce Harper, yep. McCutcheon, yep. Posey, yep, yep. Otto, yep. Bulls. That someone winning purely on the narrative hasn't happened since. It used to happen like crazy. Ryan Howard winning the MVP in 2006. I mean, I mean, again, I'm not taking anything away from Ryan Howard, who's had a wonderful career, but he was not even the most valuable player in the Phillies that year. Again, it was Chase Utley, and Pujols should have won. Pujols should have won by a mile. But he went to Ryan Howard because he was the he got the, all the home runs and had the high batting average. Justin Morneau won the MVP in 2006. 
The most valuable player on that team, on the Twins that year, was Johan Santana. And after that, it was Maurer. And after that, it was Torrey Hunter. I don't think, I don't think Justin Morneau cracks the top three on his own team. But he won the MVP. Why? Because he hit a lot of home runs and had a high batting average. It should have been Derek. It probably should have been Derek Jeter. But I, but your pal Sully digresses as I give uh, a Yankee too much credit. So the biggest thing on Rollins's ledger is that MVP, and that MVP was calculated in a time that we now we now do it differently. He wouldn't have gotten the MVP if the voting was done now. He would have been a player who, so he would have been a player who probably would have cracked the top five MVP. I have no problem with that, but he would not have won it. He would not have won it. As we go to BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, they have the thing where they have similar players. And the top ten similar players they have are Barry Larkin, Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Roberto Alomar, Edgar Renteria, Ryan Sandberg, Jay Bell, Ted Simmons, Ted Simmons, Joe Morgan, Ray Durham. And what I find interesting about that is you have a bunch of players who made the Hall of Fame, Larkin, Alomar, Sandberg, Morgan. Then you had a bunch of players who fell short of the Hall of Fame despite long, wonderful careers, specifically uh, Trammell and Whitaker, and hell, I'll say it, Renteria. And I think that's where Rollins lives, in that neutral zone between those who made the Hall of Fame and those who didn't. Those players who went, got it over the top when the votes and those who couldn't quite get there. The difference between Larkin and Trammell, the difference between Whitaker and Sandberg, the difference between Renteria and Morgan. And that's where, you know, that, and Craig Biggio is another name that's here. So that's where I think he's going to live and probably will be dragged along a long voting process that will come short. And if the biggest thing going for him is the arguments he won the MVP, to that I could say they did it differently then. They really did. That's not a knock on Jimmy Rollins, who's had a terrific career. And maybe when his career ends, and in five years we take a look at it, maybe we'll be calculating the, how we look at MVPs differently. A lot of things can happen in five years. Hell, it's been less than ten years since he's won the MVP. And we're already doing that totally differently now. But what I won't be doing differently is doing a podcast every single day. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Looking at the career of Jimmy Rollins and figuring out how we think about these things. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast for the 21st day, the shortest day of the year of 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>